You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 3, educators discuss safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Your host for Season 3 is OEA member and school counselor, Leonie Bannister. Hello, everybody. I'm Leonie Bannister, your host for season three of our OEA Grow podcast. In this season, we are learning about safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. And today, we are lucky to be joined by Jody Wyatt, the district behavior coach for Corvallis School District. Welcome, Jody. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Would you just take a moment to, to introduce yourself and tell us about your role in the Corvallis School District, please? Sure. My name is Jody Wyatt. I, as Leonie said, is um, I am the district behavior coach for the Corvallis School District. This is my 21st year serving in the district in um, a variety of roles. Um, my ninth, tenth, going on 10th year in the district um, in this particular role. And my role kind of encompasses all of our 14 schools. And so part of my job is going around to buildings, um, working with the student support teams, the principals and staff on the best practices that we can use to um, help students with their behavioral challenges that they have. So our district has incorporated having CPS, which is collaborative problem solving, um, which is a research-based program that we have looked at utilizing to all of our schools. One of the ways that we do that is I um, am a certified uh, collaborative problem solving coach. So I learn and do monthly webinars with CPS each month with Think Kids. And then I go back into our buildings and I share what I've learned and work one-on-one with teachers, um, administrators, um, educational assistants, inclusion assistants, and everybody in between um, to give them the best ways to maybe handle and work with students with challenging behavior. That's really awesome. Could you describe a little bit how collaborative problem solving, the program itself, when implemented at a school, how that creates safety and inclusiveness within within even you could speak about from the school level or even like a classroom, whatever, whatever you think is appropriate. Okay. Yep. I would love to. So uh, one of the reasons I kind of got hooked in CPS was I, um, in all of my years in education, 25 years of doing it, realized that there's a better way to do things with students than punishment. We know that traditional punishments don't work. We know that suspension, expulsion, work only so well to try to um, change a behavior. What they don't do is teach what we are expecting. And that's where we felt like we could actually do better work with our students. And so the way CPS does that is there, it it sounds very simple and and it truly is, but it's really all about building relationships with kids. And the reason I love it so much is because um, it is, it's actually a very restorative practice that can be used not just with students, but also with staff. And so being able to use the plans that they have, it sounds simple, plan A, plan B, and plan C. Plan A is really um, to impose adult will. And the, the times that we would do that would be if we are um, enlisting safety for any reason, any way, shape, or form. I'm not going to allow a student to climb on the side of the building. I am going to impose adult will, and that would be a plan A. 
Plan C is to table it. We don't mean forever. We're just meaning for now. So to think about um, what we could do in situations where students are really struggling. An example that I, I like to use is if you have a student that's really looking at a page of maybe math and it's overwhelming and they don't think they can do it. A plan C is tabling it for now would be we have a couple choices. We can fold it in half. You do the top half. We can set it aside and later we can try again or we can put it in like a fix and finish folder. You take it home and do it later. And then plan B, which is kind of the cusp and the everlasting wonderful piece of collaborative problem solving is the plan B conversations. And that is to be able to have a conversation with a student that is very, very much focused on empathy and empathy being the main ingredient. And so I, when I do a plan B conversation with a student, I ask them for them to share their concerns. I share my concerns as the adult and I might not be the teacher, which I typically am not. And so I'm going in in a different role. So I share my concerns as the adult and then together we come up with an idea that works for both of us. So it's collaborative. And I don't walk away feeling like I was not heard. The student doesn't walk away feeling like they were not heard, but we both walk away feeling like we both kind of got something that we wanted. Does it always work the first time? No. And that's about the building relationship piece that I stress to staff all the time is Mm -hmm. you have to go back and do it again and again. The work is complicated because it is building relationships. And that doesn't come easy for everyone, especially if you already have some set biases against a student that have grown for whatever reason. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was. It, that was something I was thinking about as you were speaking because I too have some familiarity with collaborative problem solving. That makes me think about for our listeners who may have in their classroom students or at their school who have different abilities, different communication styles. Yeah. You. One of the things that you kept mentioning was empathy and relationships. Do you have any, not like easy tips, but any just lived experience or learned tools or strategies that you feel like someone who may not be able to get trained in collaborative problem solving, but could use uh, in their own practice, in their own classroom to, to really practice empathy and begin to build relationships with those kiddos they might have those um, already set biases towards. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Um, I Leonie knows this about me, but one of the things that I think is important to note is I am a student that had significant learning disabilities. Um, I came from a home that had a lot of traumatic things happening. I had a father who um, had alcoholism and I am an identical twin. And so one of the things when I was growing up that I noticed was my twin was speeding ahead in school where I was lagging behind. And I kept in my head thinking, this isn't accurate. I know I can do the same thing. Why is this not working for me? And time and time again, I would try and try and try and nothing ever came easily for me. And so one of the reasons I love CPS is because as a student myself, if I would have had someone being able to have these conversations with me, it would have made a world of difference. Um, It wasn't the fact that I lacked the will to do it. It was the fact that I lacked the skill to do it. And we had never actually been able to identify that. I'm, you know, age 52. It was not important in my house growing up. College wasn't even mentioned. And because I had learning disabilities that were undiagnosed until I was in my adult years, 
I didn't even know my own learning style. Mm -hmm. And so when I came across CPS and recognized that there is a different way to do this, that you don't have to do punishment, you don't have to have consequences, that this can work for all kids. Um, I was a student who spent a lot of her time in the Learning Resource Center in special ed. I was never identified with an IEP, but I was, I had dysgraphia, I had dyscalculia, um, and not dyslexia, but I, I actually struggle in many areas. Um, and it was not until I went to college that I started realizing that my learning was totally different. I was diagnosed with um, attention deficit dis hyperactivity disorder. And so one of the reasons why I think this works really well for me in my role is I'm able to share my experiences that I had as a youth. And so I know what didn't work for me. I know that sitting by the window was not good for me. And so when I go in and work with teachers and principals, I use that lens of what worked for me and what didn't mm -hmm. as a personal thing, but also to actually understand students better. If I'm mm -hmm. sitting here at this position in this room, what am I seeing? What am I feeling? What are the sensory things happening that could be affecting me? And then I actually, you know, write up a lot of my observations on what I saw personally myself, but also what I see students struggle with, which were a lot of the same things that I struggled with. The, the other reason that I really love CPS is because um, race, culture, it's understanding of all people. And so when I think about our students, we are true believers in the Corvallis uh, School District of meeting students where they're at and their individual needs. And there is an equity piece to this that can't be touched because you are actually asking that student what they're feeling and you are not deciding that for them. Mm -hmm. And so that empathy ingredient is so important because I cannot, as a white woman, understand what a student of color is going through, but I can 100% empathize what they're going through and try to help them come up with the solution that works best for them. Mm -hmm. I, I, you just said that so very well. And it reminds me of when we ask for student voice, this is student voice, like on the micro level, we're, we're sitting down and beginning to establish a relationship with a student. Um, and then we're, we're collaboratively talking about what works for them and what it's going to work for us, for the adult or the person that's trying to, you know, navigate that conversation with the student. And so much of that is rooted in like a relational agreement between the two of you. Mm -hmm. um, so you've you've spoken a lot about collaborative problem solving, and I too like have full faith in that as a school counselor. Do you have any other strategies or tools or things that you find to be helpful that you'd want to share with listeners today that in your, you know, you have a lot of experience with behavior coaching and supporting teachers and principals and, and schools. You know, any strategies that teachers might want to hold on to after for this podcast? Yeah, I would say, um, well, there's a few phrases that I like to use just because yeah. I think um, in life, um, I've learned a few things doing this, this role. Um, one is you don't have to attend to every argument you're invited to. And I think <laughs> as adults, we want to attend every argument we're invited to because we are the adult right. and we need to get through and get over feeling that we, because we're adults, know better than a child. Mm. We don't always know better. 
And so that's one of them. Um, you hear me use the term a lot, um, don't pick up the rope. And I always think about a tug of war rope. And if the student has one end of it and I go over to pick up the other end, I better be ready to go for that tug of war because I'm going to lose. We mm -hmm. are going to tug of war. And so um, really thinking about, is this a hill I want to die on? Is this, you know, the mm -hmm. ending thing that is going to change everything? It isn't typically. And what I often find with teachers hearts are always in the right place and we're all exhausted and we're frustrated. And so this behavior has been going on and it's, I used to call it with my own children, you're woodpeckering me. You, mm -hmm. you're tapping me, mom, 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 tapping my shoulder. That's what our students do oftentimes. Mm -hmm. I think switching our belief from kids are teach, um, are seeking attention to kids are are really seeking connection, mm -hmm. specifically after going through COVID. Mm -hmm. That has changed so many mindsets that were set in ways um, that I wasn't sure I was ever going to change. So I think those are some ways. Um, another thing that I do often tell teachers is, you know, we, we do have a lot of um, educational assistance in our schools and, and everybody is there to help all students and do what's best for them. But oftentimes there's a disconnect between a teacher and a child and a student. And that's oftentimes not anyone's fault, but it's because the student is requiring so much out of them that the, in, the inclusion assistant or the educational assistant ends up picking that up. What mm -hmm. ends up happening then, they leave the classroom, the connection with the teacher is lost, and sometimes we're not able to get that back. And so one of the ways that I, when I sit down to talk about a student's needs, is we talk about how much are you actually intervening? How much are you jumping in? Are you taking the first two stabs before you bring someone else in to do this? And oftentimes they say, no, I don't have time. And mm -hmm. my pushback on that is you make the time now or you're going to make the time all year long. Mm -hmm. And the way that um, I encourage them to do that is you have the assistant in your classroom, use them to to observe and to oversee what's happening while you spend five minutes with the student each day. Mm -hmm. Build that relationship with them, because I know most situations that I walk into, it's often because the student will say to me, my teacher doesn't like me. They don't think I can do this. I just give up and I leave the room. Mm -hmm. And that's kindergarten all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. And I know these teachers because I've worked in this district forever. They do love the student. They want what's best for them. And it's not that they don't like them. It is they are overwhelmed and don't have the time. Mm -hmm. And so I am a big believer in you put in the time now or you're going to put it in all year long. Yeah, so it's, it's finding this time. Oh, sorry, Jody. No, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Well, what I was thinking about too is like the idea of reframing the problem is like, like when you say you're going to either, you know, pay for the time now or you're going to pay for it all year long is like reframing this as an opportunity. When you use the word disconnect, it makes me think about how can we restore that? There's obviously a gap between you and me. And that might look like having lunch with them. If you don't have an EA in your classroom, like inviting them in for a game time, if you're, you know, I have a very elementary lens, but like inviting them in for a game time, game time with friends during recess or, you know, and secondary is going to look much different. But well, I can speak on that secondary piece a little bit 
bit, if yeah, you tell don't us. mind, because sure. I think it's important um, to note, it isn't much different, truthfully. Mm. The same things are being um, seeked by those students. And so one of the reasons collaborative problem solving is so great, we are again looking at lagging skills. We're not looking at not the will to behave. And once we get that out of our mindset, then I think we can start to build relationships. It is no different with our kids in middle and high school. They're looking for the same things. They want the same things. And so finding five minutes to check in with them here or there. Um, you wouldn't believe the amount of students that I talk to that say they don't even know their teacher. Their teacher never asks them how their weekend was or acknowledges them when they walk in the room. And that's hard for me to say because I love everyone in our district and they're all trying the best and all teachers are. But it is really, truly about building that relationship. It is a it is a lifelong thing. I, I had the opportunity last night to go to our alternative high school and watch graduation where I saw students that I worked with in kindergarten graduate last night. And, and that is when it all comes back to me to know they, they came up to me, they remembered me, they remembered the things I did for them. And it is because I made the time to build a relationship. I'm not dumb to think that I am in a different role than teachers are 100%. I can acknowledge that. I will say to any teacher any day, let me come over and help you. I will sit with this class while you go do this work because it's important. Um, I work a lot with DHS and, and juvenile, uh, Benton County Juvenile Department. And one of the most common themes that I hear throughout is that piece of students don't feel welcome. They don't feel heard. They don't feel loved in their own homes. And so how do we as educators make them feel that we can do that for them? Mm -hmm. It's finding that time. It's making those moments that you can do that. And, and I see it really well in middle and high school. In yes, I'm an elementary person by heart as well. But middle and high school, um, it's it looks different, but it's really the same. It's building relationships, going for a walk on the track, spending five minutes, three minutes, two minutes at the door to visit with that student and just ask them how their weekend was and letting them know that you care, remembering one thing when they return on Monday about something that they told you about on Friday makes all the difference. And that's that's really where that starts. Playing games, you know, getting silly and even going outside, playing basketball with the older kids, all of those things. It's hard to take away our lunches and our breaks. And oftentimes those get taken because we're dealing with behaviors anyway. So why don't we do it proactively and actually put the work in with those students so that we're not doing it reactively all year long? Yeah, and it also makes me think as you're speaking, putting on like a secondary hat, the idea of like maybe going out and playing basketball or playing a game with the group of peers that a student that might be struggling in your class or in your small group, so that it's not, could not potentially be as intimidating to be one-on-one -on -one with that kid. Like, could you stay for a little while? Maybe they don't want to stay. Maybe they enjoy their lunchtime with their peers, which I would imagine they would. Yes. So just being very creative and like, putting that safety, that welcoming, and that relationship first before yeah. we do any kind of um, correction. One one guest on the podcast used the frame, um, connect and then correct. And yeah. I just loved that. I thought, wow, that's like, that's like a great thing just to kind of put near my desk. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yes, it is. And I think we forget because we get so busy and caught up yeah. in academics. And mm -hmm. we all know this as educators, those academics are not going to happen until the social emotional growth and the relationship building happens. And then when I feel safe as a student, 
I'm going to want to learn from you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think back to my own experiences and know that the the teachers that meant the most to me were the ones that didn't give up on me. They were the ones that helped me graduate from high school and and realize that I had potential other than just going and getting a job and nothing wrong with that by any means. But I never knew that there was anything else that I could do. Mm-hmm. That was not talked about in my home. And so when you think about ACEs and, you know, adverse childhood experiences and the effects that they have on our kids and, and what they come to school with, you know, I use the analogy often of what's in my backpack and how full I come every day in my with my backpack that is already overflowing. And I might say hello to a student and that's enough right there for them to just lose it, have a meltdown. And that's because everything that's happened to them in the last 24 hours has been shoved in their backpack. And mm-hmm. so they they don't have ways to cope with that. And my job is to stay calm, to be an active listener and to have empathy for them. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of talking and Leonie and I we do a lot of talking. We don't always do a lot of listening, myself included. And so what CPS has done, what I really feel like I've tried to toot my horn and do a good job at is really recognizing that, you know, we have to take that time. We have to slow down. We have to get to know our kids. Mm-hmm. If you do those things, they are so much more likely to, to want to work with us. And, mm-hmm. you know, collaborative problem solving can also be a restorative justice. We can do a plan B with two students. We get one concern, they share theirs, and then the other student shares theirs. And together, they learn to come up with something that works for both of them that they can agree on. And it might change tomorrow and they might be back at it again, but at least they were able to make that connection. And then you continue to build on that. And so doing that work with the the people that are out on recess and out on breaks in middle and high school has been equally as important. That's awesome. I mean, we've kind of uh, traveled through the spectrum of like prevention, you know, intervention, and then even like some, restorative justice components when peers have had conflict. Jody, I want to thank you for your time. But before we leave, is there anything else you feel like our listeners would just need to know before we go? Any um, resources? You mentioned collaborative problem solving. We'll definitely link to that. That website is thinkkids.org. Okay. Um, There is There are tons of videos on there that um, are free to the public to look at, see. Mm -hmm. The program itself costs money, but um, books that I think are really amazing and important. Mm -hmm. um, I think anything by Dr. Stuart Ablon is amazing. He is one of the creators of Think Kids. Dr. Ross Green is one of the creators of Think Kids as well. Um, And of course, Dr. Bruce Perry, who has done a lot of work with both of them Mm -hmm. um, to come up with why collaborative problem solving works. Um, Another thing that our district does promote um, is PBIS, which is Positive Behavior Intervention Support Systems. And people often think those two can't work hand in hand, and they can. Mm -hmm. They can. And I think if you're looking for ways to be able to have staff involvement, get kids on board, PBIS is a great way because we want to do universal interventions for all kids at tier one. But then if you think about the next two levels, if you're familiar with PBIS at all, going up from tier one to two and three, we still do interventions. They're just more individualized at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel collaborative problem solving is so helpful because we are continuing to build on that universal piece by adding in the component of relationship building. So Mm -hmm. I I think any of those would be great. I 
I think the best thing I can say is walk away knowing that you're doing the best you can. We all are doing the best we can. We all are doing the best with the skill set we have. And every single one of us has lagging skills. And so if you think it's just students, you need to look at yourself again because we all have them. And I am so much more of a better educator recognizing my lagging skills and being able to help my students when I know what mine are and, and then can help them identify theirs. So thank you so much for having me. I want to thank you too. I know you're a busy helper in our schools and so I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.